Hello, everybody. I'm J.D. Lopez, the host of Left Hand Right Brain. It's a free-flowing, wide-ranging conversation that I have with artists doing interesting and creative things here in Denver and beyond. We talk about their personal stories, break down their creative process, and what motivates them. Spoiler alert, it's mostly spite. We talk about all these things and more while kicking back, cracking wise, and always having a good time. You can find old episodes and everything you need to know at lefthandrightbrainpod.com. The John of All Trades podcast is a part of the Denver Podcast Network. In the shadow of the mountains, we, we speak. speak. Start the show! It's John of All Trades with your host, John X. Welcome, welcome, welcome to John's Audio Resume, Volume 11. Your host, John X. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you back once again. And we're back in the solo series. I wanted to give some love to this series because it's been a while, and I told you I'd come back to it, and here we are. When last we left off, I was just wrapping up my first ever big boy job working for the Colorado Oil and Gas Association as their admin assistant. Now, that was a great job. I mean, it it wasn't terribly stimulating answering the phone and getting the mail and, you know, coordinating emails and doing spreadsheets and stuff like that. But it was valuable in that I got involved and understood the rhythms of what it's like to work in an office. And I would say with every job, especially when you're starting out, it can be hard to calibrate. It, it takes some time to get used to getting up every day and having to look professional, especially coming right out of college, where college is just sort of whatever, right? And I remember being exhausted at the end of each day, and I was working like six hours a day, which is insane. I mean, it's ridiculous how tired I was at the end of that, but being on all day, again, takes some at-bats. So... I was working for Greg, and Greg knew that I didn't want to be an admin forever, so he was really cool about letting me look for other jobs. There was this other guy in our orbit named Jim Sims, and at the time, my dad was pretty heavily involved in the organizations he was running, most notably the Western Business Roundtable. Now, that fell under sort of uh, an umbrella company that, that managed this association. We had a number of others under us as well, but the biggest one was Western Business Roundtable. And so... Jim hired me because he was looking for a communications professional. He had a number of communications and outreach activities that he needed to do. Now, granted, I didn't know how to do any of that. I literally didn't know how to do anything professionally, essentially. But I had sort of raw material to work with. I had skills. I was a writer. I mean, coming out of my graduate program where we would write hundreds of pages each semester, he saw that and he goes, all right. Perfect. I, he comes from a natural resource background because we worked on campaigns mostly concerned with natural resources. And he can generate a high volume of content and he can learn stuff really quickly. So he hired me up. I finished up my gig at the Colorado Oil and Gas Association, went to policy communications. Is that right? Yep. Went to policy communications for $35,000 a year. That was my first gig right out of college. I go, great. This is fantastic. This is 
More money than I've ever seen. I moved out of my parents' house too, which was enormous. After grad school, I lived back with my parents for about four months and then got my own place downtown. Now, if you're listening to this and you're sort of new to Denver, so this is 2018. I got my first place all on my own in 2006. It was a two bedroom. It was about seven to 800 square feet, one bathroom in West Wash Park. So I was essentially at the cross streets of Bayard and Clarkson, real cool neighborhood, real hip place to be. I paid five fifty a month for that. Can you believe that? Five fifty a month. What would five fifty a month get you here? Like a storage unit? Like would you have to camp out inside a storage unit to get that kind of rate? Probably. But rents and mortgages here in Denver are insane. I say that right now as I am walking around my new house. Thank God this moving process is largely over. It's been, as you might expect with a move, uh, not without its challenges and not without its headaches. And it's, uh, well, it's a huge pain in the ass, to be quite frank with you. But we're in this new beautiful house. We're in the Mayfair neighborhood of Denver. We moved out of Park Hill. We're just a neighborhood to the south. It's delightful. So I've got this job downtown. And when I was working for Koga, I had a real nice short commute. I just go right up Logan. Took me, I, I don't know, less than 10 minutes. Well, so this gig is out in my hometown of Golden. So I'm doing like a reverse commute, which is nice because I'm going against traffic, but I'm commuting from the city to the suburbs, which felt kind of strange. And in retrospect, uh, I think was strange, but whatever the job is, wherever it is. And this was actually full-time and this was more than full-time. So at Kogo working six hours a day. Here, eight hours a day plus. You get there at eight, you leave at five, you go home, and you probably fire up your computer again. Because here's one thing you should know. If you are working in the government realm, if you are a professional communicator, if you have Washington, D.C. on your resume, that makes you much more attractive to people who work in government relations. Because D.C., I'm told, is like college part two. You're surrounded by a ton of other young people. You're working your ass off and you are building experience in a way that will put you far ahead of everyone that is sort of in your peer group who hasn't done a tour of DC. Now I had never done a DC tour. I still haven't, but this was a shop full of DC veterans. You know, we did some lobbying. We did some policy work, mostly at the federal level, some of it at the state level, a lot of it regionally. On issues ranging from oil and gas to coal to fugitive dust in the West to outer continental shelf drilling. And it was overwhelming learning about all these issues. So one of the things that people hired us for was because we did so much advocacy on so many different types of issues. So the Western Business Roundtable brought together companies in the natural resource realm and they all advocated together. They all worked together. And from time to time, you'd want to bombard Congress with unique letters of support. So we live in a society now where people are very active, very engaged with their elected officials. Regardless of whether you are liberal or conservative, there's a lot of attention on government right now from people previously that I thought had no interest or no aptitude or no sort of, what's the word I'm looking for here? No reason to be involved. It seems like everyone's involved now. 
And what you should also know is that the techniques that people use, that companies use to contact you through social media, through however they're trying to get you to buy their shit, it almost all comes out of campaigns. It's like how technology, the, the actual like hardware and software that we use, so much of it comes out of like military and government because those programs are researched. They, they have high levels of funding and that ends up getting translated to the private sector. Very similar in a communications outreach kind of way where a lot of the techniques for campaigning ends up getting co-opted by consumer and you know more sort of uh, public facing types of things. So much of it comes out of campaigns. And as an example of this, one of the things that I did, and this was probably my primary role there, was I had to learn about almost every single issue that we covered. And again, I named some of them. Outer Continental Shelf Drilling. Fugitive Dust in the West. Are you familiar with that? Of course you're not. Why would you be? Unless you work uh, sort of in, in a rural milieu. But essentially what that is, is when there's a lot of truck traffic on a dirt road, it generates dust. And then that has a lot of unintended consequences. And you need techniques for mitigating that. I had to learn all about that. I had to learn about electrical transmission, pipelines, infrastructure projects, things that crossed over county barriers, uh, not county barriers, but county lines, state lines. Uh, there's a lot of intergovernmental sort of uh, components here where governments are talking to each other and they have to strike up agreements because this one company or this group of companies or whatever has this project that doesn't really, you know, it's not limited by the boundaries of counties or states. So I had to learn all that stuff and then write issue campaigns for them, which was crazy. I was writing constantly about these issues I was just learning about and, you know, writing some letters, uh, supporting our members and how they wanted to reach out to their elected officials to, to get things done. So I'd sit down, I'd read about these things, I'd pull talking points and I'd draft together letters, talking points, op-eds. You know, we had a lot of different types of members and they'd want to get their name uh, on the editorial pages or inside newspapers and they don't always have the time. So they rely on staff or trade associations or whatever, or may, you know, maybe they hire a, a communications agency to write the material for them. They review it, they sign off on it, they make tweaks where needed, and then it gets submitted. The hardest part of any job is generating the raw material. And that is what people hire communications firms for. Generating this stuff out of whole cloth takes a lot of brain power. It takes a lot of spade work. You just got to put your shovel in the ground and start digging. And you've got to do it. You like it, it just has to be done. And then a client, once they see it, they go, oh, okay, perfect. Like I have a starting place. It's much easier to edit than it is to generate. So you provide materials for your clients to help get them started. And that's what I was doing generating raw materials all day, every day. I'd sit down and write, I'd come up with subject lines for emails. I'd have to come up with like a hundred of them for each individual campaign. Uh, you know, take the same set of talking points, whatever they are and reconfigure them, write them in new and interesting in different ways, which has given me sort of a unique and odd skill uh, that is helpful. I I've had people tell me, 
I have a very unusual way of speaking. I have sort of an odd way of making my points. And I would say, you're right. But that's a byproduct, not only of sort of just who I am, but of this skill set that I learned of having to say the same thing in a billion different ways. That's why I love the theory of copiousness. I've talked about that a lot on this show. Just on copia by Erasmus is one of the works that I adore most and it informs so much of my career. So that's what I was doing. Now, I alluded to DC and DC has a different level of work ethic where I probably averaged at that job 50 to 60 hours a week. And now, I mean, that doesn't seem so bad, but when you are 25 years old, it kind of gives you a bit of a crisis. You go, oh God, I did, I did not expect to work this much. I don't, I'm not sure that I signed up for this. Is this what the working world is? And yes, it can be. It doesn't necessarily have to be, but man, frequently it is. And that is tough, tough to get used to. Um, so yeah, just reflecting on that. I remember I got this big like data list that I had to comb through and reconfigure. And it took me like every day. It was like eight hours a day, at least for more than a week. You know, you're just sitting there with these columns and you get really good at a specific rhythm within Excel. And you go, I can't believe I'm good at this. And why am I not dead? <laughs> so I, I had some tough times mentally at this job. One thing that I did get to do though, that was pretty cool was there was a congressional seat that was up for grabs. And it was a guy named Richard Pombo who represents Northern California. So just between San Francisco and Sacramento is this town called Stockton. And that's largely where he was. So he was in this fight with a guy trying to take his spot. He was a Republican. Democrat was coming in. So this was 2006. Uh, 2006, George Bush presidency. Uh, Democrats were starting to rally. Every midterm election is a referendum on the current president. So as I'm recording this in 2018, it'll be interesting to see. You, you've probably heard about the blue wave coming all across the country. Uh, in reaction to Donald Trump, we'll see if Democrats take the House and Senate. That's typically what happens. It happened during Obama's time, too. In 2008, he was elected. 2010, a lot of Republicans came in and uh, established themselves in the House and Senate. So this was 2006. We're in George Bush's second term, and he needs all the help he can get. He needs people to knock on doors and uh, do all sorts of stuff. So he reaches out to my boss, Jim. He sends his two young guys. There was me and this other guy, Justin, who he sent out there. He's like, look, you are paid to go out there and campaign, do whatever they need. Literally, just go out there and do anything that they ask you. So I go, okay. And went out there for like four days, I think. And worked I roughly 12 hours a day out there. And here's the thing. If you've never worked on a campaign... A campaign is very intense, but it's actually a lot of fun because you're all there together. You're sort of in the trenches. You are getting walk sheets or walk packets where you're going to hit these houses. And so you have to like highlight the route. You have to highlight the correct houses. And then there's sheets saying like, here's this person. They're registered to this party. 
uh, find out if they've already turned in their absentee ballot. And so you have like this whole criteria, like this little matrix that you have to fill out and demonstrate sort of uh, so, so that the, the campaign people have a sense for where the votes are going, uh, who's undecided, whose ballots are still out. And then the day of the election, sometimes campaign people will drive people to the polls. Like if, if they are a supporter of you, you want them to vote. So you go to their house. This frequently happens with old people who have like limited mobility or, you know, maybe some sort of disability or something. But you go to their house and you drive them directly to go vote or, you know, you, you do what you can. Every vote counts. You've, you've heard of get out the vote. That's the get out the vote effort. So here's the thing. This is all fascinating work and I'm surrounded by terrific people. Campaign people get a bad rap a lot like lobbyists do, but so many of them are just salt of the earth and they're doing it because they believe in the person that they are working for. Also, I mean, quite candidly, campaign work tends to pay very, very well as well. But I had never been to Stockton, California, and we went to some interesting areas in Stockton. And there's like this whole little tri-city area. There's Stockton, there's Lodi, and there's Manteca. And I've been to all three now, and I have been to people's houses in all three. The very first house I knocked on, I think it was in Stockton, but I'm there with Justin. Neither of us have ever done this before. We've got our little clipboard. We've got our little Pombo sticker on. We knock on the door. We're waiting for the guy. <laughs> it takes him forever to answer the door. And we're getting ready to leave. We hear the door unlock and he opens it up. And homeboy looks like he is just straight out of a 1970s porno. He's got this sort of long, not long hair, but like it's, it's down past the nape of his neck. He's got a mustache. He's wearing, I shit you not, a silk gold robe. He's got a chain with like a medallion on it sitting in his chest hair. And he opens the door. He's like, uh, hello. And we're like, uh, hi, sir. I, I'm John. This is Justin. We're with the Pombo campaign. We were just wondering. And as soon as I said wondering... To borrow a phrase from Patton Oswald, this wave of fuck fumes just comes right out of the house. And I'm like, wow. All right. This guy, either in the middle of the day, is plowing his old lady, which good for him. More power to both of them. Or he's hosting an orgy, which if he is, that's fine too. I'm not here to judge one's sexual lifestyle. I don't care. Uh, as long as you're not hurting anyone and it's all consensual, more power to you. Uh, have, have fun with each other, but Holy Lord, uh, what a first door to knock on. This guy was clearly balling someone within the last 10 minutes of me knocking on that door. He declined to tell us whether or not, uh, he, he had turned in his absentee ballot, but he declined to tell us who he voted for. So, uh, whatever we just packed up, went on to the next one. Uh, I had a guy yell at me uh, on his front porch. That was neat. Uh, he had a plate of food. It was like, uh, it was a Monday and the Raiders were getting ready to be on Monday night football. The Raiders were in Oakland at the time. And so he's got a plate of food and he just yelled at me all the talking points against Richard Pombo. 
you know, he's crooked and he's stealing money from the veterans and whatever. Like all this trumped up bullshit that based on, I mean, granted I worked for the campaign, but based on what I had heard were largely not credible, but they stuck. And so I'm standing there just like waiting for this guy to finish. And this other guy comes up who I was walking with and he'd been in a campaign much longer than I had. And he just motions to me. He's like, come on, just go. Just, you don't need to stand there and take that. Clearly he's not voting for Pombo. You don't need to take that. Just say, thank you. Excuse yourself and walk away. But until you've been yelled at by a stranger on their own property, man, that's a different kind of fear. And (laughs) you don't know what kind of fear you can feel until this guy starts yelling at you. And then you see there's like a ton of guys behind him in the house. You're like, okay, well, this might be the day that it ends. So yeah, we went to some rough areas in Stockton, Lodi and Manteca, but overall great experience. I never, I never got hurt. Everything was fine. And here's the other thing on a campaign, man, you're drinking, you drink a ton in the campaign offices. There are people there and they keep it staffed with food. They keep it staffed with booze and you're there until like 11 o'clock at night. So you're just making Xeroxes, making Xeroxes. How old am I? And you're putting together packets and you're reviewing data. You're getting it inputted and you're drinking the whole time. It's wild. I mean, what a time. Everyone's sick. It's, it's almost like being in a band. It's like that Lagwagon song, Sick. Um, the van smells like a dirty sock. Everyone has got the flu. Uh, I'd rather be just sick of you. I'd rather be asleep. That's kind of how everyone feels, but you're also kind of glad that you're there. So campaign work is fun. So running motif of this series is how I'm not necessarily a great employee. And I, again, I think that's become apparent. I think that's fairly obvious. But the way it manifests here was I was sort of immediately because I bitched about this job constantly. It was a good job. It paid well. The people were largely good. We did interesting work, but it was just hard. It was crushing. It was a meat grinder, man. And I felt like I was flailing. I, every day I was there, I felt like I didn't know what I was doing, which was terrifying. And so in the previous entry, I had talked about how I'd found MGA communications and I really wanted to work there. So I stayed in touch with them. I would just send the executive vice president there emails from time to time, updating her on what I was doing. And when they had an opening, I jumped at the chance. I'm like, okay, I got to get over there. This, I got to make this happen. I need to make a change. And at the time I was actually considering moving to Los Angeles very briefly. It was, it was a strange time. Like Kristen and I were both sort of spinning our wheels. We felt like, and neither of us was terribly happy. So we're like, you know what? Let's maybe try a new city. I thought I wanted to do like concert promotions or like work for a record label or something. And then I had friends who did that and I found out how awful that work is. And so I kind of didn't know what to do. But they had an opening, and as I was in process of that, we had a big strategy meeting. It was a two-day off-site meeting. So it was me, my bosses, our entire team. There was a team of like 10 or 11 or 12 of us. And we're in this room, and there's this huge whiteboard with all these tasks. And all our clients, everything we need to do for them, and it's filled in like a grid. So like who's responsible for what? And I see my name down this one column where I'm responsible for like the content 
of every single one of these clients. And there's like 20 of them. And so my boss, Jim, says to me, he's like, that's a lot of work. Think you're up for it? And I looked at it and I knew I was sort of working with MGA trying to get on there. And I, I look at the board, I look back at him and I go, what if I say no? <laughs> and it sort of stopped him dead in his tracks. And he's like, uh, and he couldn't tell if I was kidding because my deadpan is pretty strong. Like I can be just drier than the driest piece of, piece of toast ever. I'm like Kenny Maine sometimes. So he kind of laughed and he goes, well, I, that'd be something we need to talk about. I go, fair enough. And I just kind of left it there. And at that point I didn't really care anyway, but I sort of knew I'm like, okay, yeah, this is a lot of work and maybe I'm not up for it. Even if I don't get this job. So it's funny, I'm pausing just because I think about if I were presented with that now, after having worked in corporate for the number of years that I did, where you just sort of say yes to whatever and then figure it out. But I was bold enough at the time to be like, hmm, what if I say no? What if I say I don't feel like it? That's kind of cool, like in a weird way. And I'm happy I responded that way. And I'm even happier that it turned out that after four interviews at MGA, I got hired on there. And it was weird. It was my sort of first lesson in negotiation and in quitting because I got bumped up at policy. Uh, I went from 35,000. They bumped me up to 40,000. And then I got this offer from MGA and they offered me 32. And I go, ugh. Like I can't, you know, I don't want to take that much of a pay cut. God, that's like a 20% pay cut. And so I really wanted the job and I didn't want to mess it up. And this is one thing that young people in particular have a hard time with. Assert your value. You will rise to the occasion. And if you accept whatever shitty offer anyone gives you, like you're not conveying your value properly. So play to the top of your value. And I said, Okay, guys, here's the deal. I just got bumped up to 40. I'm not asking you to meet that, but can you meet me halfway? Can you meet me at 36? And she goes, let me talk to the partners and I'll get back to you. That was fraught with tension for me for a couple hours while they got together and sort of made sure that that was okay with them and their budget. And I'm like, oh God, I screwed it up. I screwed it up. Uh, and I was really worried about it, but they matched it. It was good. I got the 36. And I was going to get health insurance too. It was going to be awesome. And then I had to quit. And so I uh, wrote up my resignation letter, brought Jim and his partner Holly in. And I said, guys, I regret to inform you. This is my letter of resignation. And Jim, I, I'll never forget this. He goes, ah, no. And he was really upset. And that meant something to me because I wasn't sure how good a job I was doing. And then he says to me, he's like, man, so I trained this guy up and now he's going to go use his talents somewhere else. What a bummer. He's like, where are you going? I said, MGA. And he goes, that's a great shop. Good for you. 
And he was really happy for me. So always be professional. Always leave on good terms. I had some challenges with that job. I didn't go into all of them. But I think I expressed adequately just how that, for a variety of reasons, wasn't exactly a good fit for me. But here's what happened. I got to go to MGA knowing a ton more than I did. I didn't really know how to do much. Uh, one of my other associates, this guy named Paul, Paul Poister, who's terrific, actually taught me how to write a press release. He taught me the inverted triangle formula, which is like the standard press release format. And I am infinitely grateful to him for that. But I didn't know how to do much else, but I knew a ton about stuff. Don't know how to do anything, know a lot about stuff. So went to MGA and got my practical skill set. So that was my 11th job. Policy Communications, Western Business Roundtable. It was a good job. It lasted me about six months or so. And uh, I'm grateful to Jim for taking a chance on me and for getting me all built up to where I am now. I mean, getting me on the road to where I am now. So an important stop in the road. Let's play the outro. Joan of All Trades podcast is a production of Deft Communications. Check out Deft on the web, D-E-F-T-C-O-M dot U-S. I'll even write you a nice press release using the inverted triangle formula if you like, or we could do something a little bit more advanced than that. Our sponsor is 4Degrees, the number 4, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. Your one-stop shop for everything you want to do online. Building a website, social media marketing, digital advertising, they will take your message, they will help make sure that message is the right one, and they will get it in front of the people who need to see it most. That's the number four, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. The John of All Trades podcast is on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, and Instagram, all under the same handle, J-O-A-T-Pod. Check out Instagram for my new series called Worst Coworker Ever, where I post adorable photos of my cat. Facebook is the only place for exclusive episode previews. Those go up on Mondays. New episodes drop on Wednesdays on iTunes and Stitcher. All of these episodes are available at the homepage, johnofalltrades.us. That's J-O-N of alltrades.us. I will see you back here next week. Thank you for listening. It's good to sort of get this out, and maybe we'll do another one here soon. So until I hear you again, say goodnight, That's good, Johnny.